All right, we're going to start out with a review of the oral hypoglycemic classes. The first type of drug is the secretagogue. How does the secretagogue work? Makes the pancreas secrete more insulin. Now, in order for a secretagogue to work, what do you have to have in the body? You have to have a pancreas that can secrete insulin. So you can only use it in early and middle phase type 2 diabetes when the pancreas can still actually secrete insulin. Now what are the two subclasses of that? Sulfonylureas and metaglinides. Now sulfonylureas are the oldest ones. They have a sulfa group so they have cross allergy with what other class? Sulfonamides. And both of these two drug classes have a side effect in common. What is that side effect? Not weight gain. Starts with an H. Hypoglycemia. In fact, out of this entire sheet, the only drugs on this that cause hypoglycemia are sulfonylureas and metaglinides. So the only oral drugs that are going to cause hypoglycemia are sulfonylureas and metaglinides. Now, what are the differences in the use between sulfonylureas and metaglinides? What is the difference in their use? They both make the pancreas secrete, but metaglinides are special. How long do they last? A lot shorter. They only last two to three hours. So when do we use them for? We use them right before a meal to take care of postprandial glucose. It does not help fasting glucose. So funnelureas last a long time. We use those to take care of just general all-around blood sugar or fasting. Now, why might we not want to use sulfonylureas in general? What's the side effect that would make us go, you know, sulfonylurea is not so good for this, this disease? Not upset stomach. Weight gain. So they actually can make the disease process worse because they enhance weight gain. Yes, hypoglycemic is in that they lower blood sugar, but they won't make it go abnormally low. All right, the next class is biguanide. There's only one drug. What is it? Metformin. And what's the brand name? Glucophage. You need to know that because you're going to see that a lot in the hospital. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that at least a quarter of your patients in the nursing home are on it right now. All right, so... Metformin or glucophage, how does it work? So it decreases gluconeogenesis in the liver, so you can think of it as a what inhibitor? What hormone? A glucagon inhibitor. And it also enhances glucose uptake by muscle cells, so it actually increases sensitivity to insulin. 
So what are the two things it does? It decreases secretion of glucose by the liver and it increases uptake by muscle cells. So what it does is going to block glucagon and make insulin work better. Now, who should not take metformin? What are the two big no-nos? Renal failure or renal insufficiency and heart failure. Now, we haven't done our kidney lecture yet, but how do we measure renal function in an old patient? Well, that's one way, but what's the way? Okay, that's a way of measuring it. But what do we usually use to measure kidney function? What's the lab value? Say it again. Creatinine. Now, in elderly people, what do they have? As they, grow, as they get older, they lose muscle mass. What produces creatinine in the first place? Muscle mass. So you can't rely on creatinine levels in elderly folks. So what do we use instead? Not BUN. It's estimated something that starts with a G. Say it again. Glomerular filtration rate or GFR. Didn't we say that yesterday? We didn't say that yesterday? No, but we should have. So you're going to use estimated GFR. Now, nurses are not typically the ones who are in charge of estimating GFR. It's just a formula that you can plug into your PDA or a computer program. <laughs> But you need to be aware that you can't just check creatinine. You have to use estimated GFR. That's an estimation of renal function. We'll talk more in detail about that next week. Oh, by the way, you have a quiz on renal function next week. So sketch the nephron and label its parts and describe the hormones and how they affect water balance. That's your quiz for next week. Monday. Sure, I can send you an email with that. Sketch the parts of an nephron and you know, sketch an nephron and label the parts and describe the hormones that interact with the interact with the kidney to influence fluid balance. All right. So, metformin, what are the major side effects of metformin? Or do you need a moment longer to write all that down? Okay. Is there going to be anything on bones? You want something on bones too? Okay. <laughs> you can tell me what are the four major functions of bones. So, the major side effects of metformin. First one was decreased appetite, which leads to weight loss. And does that help our patient's disease process? Yes. Now, how does it decrease appetite? Makes you feel a little queasy. How many of you know you're supposed to eat breakfast in the morning, but when you wake up and you try and put food in your mouth, you're like, oh, I just don't feel like eating right now. That's what metformin does to you. Now, what's the major toxicity you need to remember? Lactic acidosis. Lactic acidosis is a medical emergency. It's most commonly going to affect people with renal insufficiency, liver disease, fear infections, shock, and heart failure, which is why shock, or renal insufficiency and heart failure are the two big 
Never give this to those patients. The symptoms of toxicity, you need to know these. Hyperventilation, myalgia, malaise, and unusual somnolence. What does that mean? Is that what some of you are right now? No, you are not abnormally somnolent, except maybe Amy, who's on Norflex. <laughs> now, when we say, but it's not her fault. She's on drugs. <laughs> Under the care of a supervis supervision of a doctor. Now, unusual somnolence is when you, you can't get out of bed. You're just like, you know, and if someone's, you know, if you stop being stimulated, you can... It's like you're out. That's what unusual somnolence is. Not just, oh my gosh, she just had, oh, I'm so full after lunch. And Dr. Hammond, your voice is very calm and soothing sometimes. <laughs> That's, okay, that would be unusual craziness, but not unusual somnolence. All right, so are you usually going to use metformin two to three times a day? In the uh, long-acting version, you take it once a day, and when do you take it? At night. At night, because that's when your liver usually does its gluconeogenesis. <laughs> All right, the next class is the TZDs, or glitazones. I am never going to ask you to know how to spell the, the actual name of that class. We just ca call them like everyone else does, TZDs, or Glitazones. All right, so the way they're going to work is they're going to increase sensitivity to insulin. In animals, they increase, they increase muscle glucose uptake and they decrease liver glucose production. Does that sound like another drug we just talked about? Yeah. Yes, what other drug? The one we just talked about. What was that one? Metformin. All right, so similar action to metformin in the final result, but it takes several weeks to develop. Metformin will start working overnight. This takes weeks to, to build up. So if a patient's got really high glucose and you need to bring them down, know that this isn't going to work immediately. Now, the way we use it is we use it to lower glucose. It can be used alone or it can be used in combination with other drugs. It does not cause hypoglycemia. And it's absorbed and it's metabolized in the liver. So it can cause liver problems sometimes. It can also cause fluid retention, which can cause edema. Now, if a person begins to retain too much fluid, that can push them into heart failure. If they were kind of like almost heart failure and they start retaining water, they can get pushed over into actual heart failure. The other thing is we do not give it, we can give it in mild heart failure, but because it can cause excess fluid retention, you have to monitor them very carefully. And in uh, severe heart failure, never give it. This side effect is dose dependent, which means the more you give, the worse the side effect. Um, there needs a caution with insulin. Um, the combination of the two drugs can cause some issues, which we don't need to know any more details than that. Just for now, just caution because it can enhance hypoglycemia. Um, mixed lipid effects means it makes some of your cholesterol values better and some worse. We're not sure what that means in terms of heart disease. Does that make heart disease worse or better? And it can cause damage to the liver, so we must check LFTs. 
liver function tests. All right, agents, the actual drugs, rosiglitazone and pioglitazone are the two most, con well, the two that we use, Actos and Avandia. They were considered third line, meaning you use them after everything else has failed. But because of the way they work, we're beginning to think maybe we should use them earlier. However, there's some evidence that shows that they can also cause some other problems, so they're not quite so sure. Doctors get happy on a new drug, then they get sad on a new drug. It, you know, it's hard to keep up with them. But anyway, there they are. Last class of the big, of the big classes, the mechanism of action. It's going to inhibit enzyme responsible for breaking oligosaccharides and complex carbohydrates into monosaccharides. Now, what is the most common sugar in your diet? Assuming that you don't drink a lot of um, this stuff right here. In here, it's fructose. But what would it be? Sucrose. So sucrose is made up of a glucose and a fructose connected together. Can your body absorb sucrose? No. no. It has to break it down first. This drug inhibits breaking sucrose and other larger sugars down into simple sugars. If you don't break them down, you can't absorb them. Now, it doesn't prevent you from absorbing them eventually. It just makes it happen slower. You can also get the same effect or similar effect by eating your sugar with lots of fiber. Fiber also slows down the absorption of sugar. So you can use this to eat sugar and then give yourself a low glycemic index. So that way um, you can be happy and so can Professor Kirkwood. Except that just like eating lots of fiber, what are you going to get? Gas. So in some patients, the gas is so bad that they absolutely refuse to take it. Yeah, that bad. So, um, so these drugs aren't really used that often because a lot of patients just like, no, I take Beano to get rid of that problem and I'm not taking another drug to give me that problem. Now, even though the drug does not cause hypoglycemia, you do have to be careful with hypoglycemic patients because if a patient becomes hypoglycemic, what can't you give them? You can't give them sucrose. Why? They won't absorb it. So you haven't fixed the problem. In that case, you need to give them glucose. So patients who take these drugs should have some kind of glucose tablet on them at all times because regular table sugar isn't going to work for them if they happen to become hypoglycemic. Any questions about this drug class? Um, oh, it can also decrease iron absorption can also cause some liver dysfunction, and acarbose or precarbose is the most common one. I'm not going to ask you to, memory, to remember the names of the drugs, but I do want you to remember that alpha-glucosidase inhibitors do what they do. All right. Um, hmm. Oh, we've got another slide. on. Before we move on to this, there's one more slide we have to talk about from the last lecture that I skipped. Yes. All right, new drugs. These drugs 
were only approved and started to be used within the last two years. So last year in Pathopharm 2, I did taught these drugs like in the very last week of class because they're brand new. So, but you guys get to learn them up front. Aren't you happy? Yay! All right. Now, if you'll remember this slide here with the diagram of, of, insula, of the disease, incretin is a hormone that is produced by your intestines. And what does that hormone do? So it decreases hunger and slows the absorption of sugar, carbohydrates. Now, it also tells your beta cells to produce insulin. So we have two drugs that affect incretin. One of them is artificial incretin. So it's going to lower blood sugar by telling the insulin produce more sugar. It's going to lower blood sugar by slowing the absorption. And it's also going to tell our person not to eat as much. So it can also have some weight loss as a side effect. There's another drug class that also affects incretin, and that is called the dipeptidyl peptidase 4 inhibitor. All this does is it, it uh, inhibits this enzyme, which breaks down in cretin, so it makes in cretin last longer. Wait, it breaks down in cretin? Yes, this enzyme breaks down in cretin. So, this, this enzyme breaks it down, and now we inhibit this enzyme. So now our in cretin lasts longer. Okay, got the smile. Then, we also have a new drug called amylin analog. Now, is amylin on this guy here? No, it's not. All right, amylin is produced by beta cells, and it inhibits alpha cells from producing more glucagon. So we can also give artificial amylin, which will decrease alpha cell production of glucagon. I got, I got to put more lines on there. It's not complicated enough yet. All right, now I'm not going to ask you to remember any drug names. I don't want you to remember any side effects. I just want you to remember how these drugs work. Because when you get to the hospital, you may have a patient or two who's on these. So you can look it up and find out all the side effects and all that stuff then. What I want you to know is generally speaking, how does it help the patient? Got it? So, the first one, incretin, what does incretin cause? Decreased hunger, slowed absorption, more insulin. And one of the side effects is weight loss. Then this enzyme right here, dipeptidyl peptidase 4, destroys incretin. So if we inhibit it, we get more incretin. And then we have amylin analog, which is like artificial amylin. And what does amylin do? Right. Suppresses glucagon production by the alpha cells. All right. So those are the new drug classes that you need to know.
Repeat the last one. Amylin, artificial amylin, suppresses glucagon production, which is going to slow gastric emptying and decrease glucagon, glucagon emptying. Um, I don't know what I meant there. But it's going to decrease... Um, it's going to decrease gluconeogenesis and glycogenolysis because you don't have as much glucagon running around in your system. Yeah. I think that should have been just effects. Decreases, decreases <laughs> glucagon <laughs> effects. There you go. Emptying. My goodness. If you people just stop... Uh, Just stop um, distracting me. All right. Back to our story. All right. So now we've got all of the drug classes that we need to treat, in, to treat diabetes, right? Yes. Now, type 2 diabetes. What do we want the patient to do in addition to take their drugs? Exercise. Calorie restriction, lose weight. Those are the big three. Now, what's most likely to kill a type 2 diabetic? Heart attack and stro stroke. How are we going to prevent that? Well, actually, that's, that's in week 9 when we start talking about that. Well, we're going to treat their high blood pressure. We're going to treat their cholesterol. We're going to treat all of their risk factors for heart disease and stroke. What's most, what's most likely to make their lives miserable? What? Not the injections. <laughs> you get used to those real quick. Neuropathy, which is going to cause numbness, tingling, amputations, incredible heartburn. Incredible heartburn, because you can't get rid of it. Like worse, well, it is GERD, but you can't get rid of it because the, the stomach just won't go. I had a question. Um, was it for diabetes type 2 or type 1 that causes heart disease and stroke? Type 2 is more associated with heart disease and stroke. Thank you. So PPI wouldn't work particularly well? We're not talking about that. What you need is you need something to speed up the gut, and the gut won't speed up because the nerves just don't work anymore. All right, so... Neuropathy. What else do we have that will make their lives miserable? Nephropathy, causing kidney disease, which will eventually put them on dialysis. And then their entire life revolves around those three days when they go into the dialysis center and spend half their day getting their blood sucked out, washed, and put back into them. And they're anemic because they've got kidney failure. And what does the kidney produce that causes blood to be produced? Erythropoietin. So it doesn't sound like a very fun life. And then what's the last thing? Retinopathy. And that's going to take away that ultimate symbol of American freedom and youth. Their car. All right. Now let's talk about ketoacidosis management for just a moment. Ketoacidosis... Um, Really, there's one treatment for it, and that's to give the patient insulin. And we're going to give it to them most often IV. Why IV? 
it's the fastest working and it's easy to titrate it up or down. If you give too much insulin via, um, via subcutaneous route, that could be a long time before it gets out of their system, depending on which kind you gave them. You could be like looking at that patient being in a hypoglycemic coma for 12 hours, trying to give them extra sugar for 12 hours. If you give them too much insulin IV, you can turn it off immediately and guess what will happen? It'll go away. So IV is preferred for that. Um, bicarbonate. Why would we give our patient bicarbonate? Because the patient's in acidosis. Water replacement. Why would we give them water? What's, what, are the, what are the three symptoms? The three polys. So a patient's had polyuria. They are now dehydrated. And we're going to monitor sodium and potassium. What is potassium going to be when the first come in? Why is it going to be high? Say it again. Because the patient's acidotic. And when a patient has acidosis, potassium moves out of the cell into the blood. All right. Now, what are the treat what's the treatment for high potassium? Insulin and calcium gluconate, but do you see that one up here? No, what else do you see up there? Bicarbonate. So now our patients got high blood sugar or high high potassium, and we're going to give them two treatments that both cause potassium to come down. So you've got to make sure it doesn't go down too much. At the same time, the patient has been peeing like crazy. We've got to make sure that they don't become hyponatremic or hypernatremic. Hyponatremic would be more common. So we're going to replace these two electrolytes as necessary. And then we are going to carefully monitor their blood glucose levels. When their blood glucose levels get below 200, that's when you got to watch them carefully. Yeah, because they'll come in, their blood sugar will be like 800 sometimes, 400, 600. Once you get them down to around 200, their symptoms are going to go away in terms of all the polyuria and all that, but you want to get them down lower. It's going to depend on the hospital protocol that you're at. Now, what kind, of, uh, what kind of unit or floor would this patient most likely be on? Most hospitals is going to be an ICU. Um, usually not a telemetry floor because when a patient's on an IV drip, they need constant monitoring because it's easy to kill them really nice and quick. So even a regular telemetry floor is probably not going to be enough. They're most likely to be in an ICU. So careful monitoring of the, of the glucose levels and they'll titrate it down, down, down and then switch them over to a subcutaneous insulin. Um, glucagon. We can give glucagon as a drug to treat hypoglycemia. It only works for moderate hypoglycemia. Um, D50W uh, is preferred for severe and oral glucose is preferred for mild. So in the middle, we can use glucagon. Um, again, it doesn't work for hypoglycemia due to anorexia. What does anorexia mean? 
not eating or no appetite. So if a patient skipped breakfast this day because they were supposed to get operated on, and you, know, and you, gave, you made them NPO, and now they're hypoglycemic, should you give glucagon? No, why not? Because they don't have glycogen stores in their liver anymore because it's been using that up throughout the day. Right. The other thing is it takes about 20 minutes before it starts, before the person wakes up. If you give them D50 glucose, they'll wake up in like seconds. So a lot of people would prefer just to skip straight to D50 rather than mess around with glucagon. But it'll depend on the hospital and the physicians you work with. And we are done with diabetes. Woohoo! So next week, I'll show you a little, little scrubs on diabetes. <laughs>